Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot, your host of this podcast, and I thank you so much for joining in, listening to me. And as I've said before, if you are listening, chances are you too are a North American Waterfowler. If you just can't get enough of this sport, let me just tell you right now, I had an app developed called the North American Waterfowler for guys like you, where you can record your hunt. You can post pictures of your hunts. You can track dog retrieves. You can track weather over time. You can connect with friends and join a group where you can see each other's data, not hunt locations, but data. You can also compete in the friendly leaderboards where you can um, see how other people are doing. And there's a certain point total for each bird that adds up. And, and so it's a pretty cool system. You can either get it on iOS or Android at the North American Waterfowler. Um, or just search North American Waterfowler or the website, thenorthamericanwaterfowler.com. So check that out. I can tell you that it greatly enhances what I am doing in my waterfowling. I've been doing this for years and years and years. I used to have this massive spreadsheet that I perfected over the years that basically after the end of each hunt, I would put in my data and then my data would fly all over the place, keeping track of birds per hunt, lost birds, types of species, all of that information, we even tracked our shooting percentage, and and I did it all on spreadsheet. It was my lifetime dream to have that turned into an app for me, for myself. And now I'm bringing that to you. So go download it. You can start a seven-day trial to see if you like it and cancel if you don't. So today, this is kind of an interesting podcast for sure. I am going to start off with going over my day three hunt with Matt. I'm from High Prairie Sportsman. 
If you listen to Monday's podcast, it was on location on my hunt trip with Matt, whereas just he and I, I show, I rolled in there on um, Friday at about noon. We hunted Friday afternoon. We hunted Saturday. We hunted Sunday. And then I traveled back. And so it was really, really fun to hang out with Matt, just the two of I. I've been with Matt before. I've hung out with him before, but it's all been through the Flyways Collective. And last year we did a big group hunt session where it was really awesome. We drew for partners. We had a little competition. If you haven't seen the videos, um, it was Jake chasing green, golden boy, um, Thomas from Hoke outdoors, Matt from hybrid swordsman, Jordan Neely from Jordan's harvest. I think I got everyone on there and we drew for partners and we had this competition. It was so much fun. And I drew Matt as my partner and he and I just see eye to eye on waterfowl hunting. We just do. We just do the, our style, our shot selection is just a perfect fit. So it was just so much fun to get to be Matt's partner and just hang out and get a tour of that area. And it did not disappoint. Now we didn't shoot limits every single day. We didn't have to, I want to go back there. I wish I was still there. I love that area. It is absolutely one of my favorite areas on the planet. The solitude of that area is unmatched. So I am going to go over that day three hunt, which we didn't do fantastic, but what an interesting day that Sunday was. What an interesting day. I'm going to go over that. And also um, after that, after I go over that hunt, I am going to respond to some comments that were made on the Duck Gun Podcast. If you don't thoroughly know me, I spent probably five years as co-host of the Duck Gun Podcast with Jordan Fromer personal friend of mine, still personal friends. But if you listen to that podcast, Jordan and I from time to time would have disagreements and we would have some heated debates. And I would say the number one most heated debate that I ever got into Jordan with was about wood ducks. And so he was talking with Zach and Hunter uh, and they were discussing my views on wood ducks and talking all about it. So I got Jordan's permission to actually play you guys some clips of things that they said, if you have not already heard it. And I want to respond to it. Cause I think, a li- I think they got a little off track with what my thoughts and beliefs are on wood ducks and what I was trying to say. I thought that um, maybe it was misrepresented just a little bit to my view. So I thought I would play those clips for you guys and I would respond to it. There is absolutely no qualm between Jordan and I We're good buddies. We Marco back and forth. Almost every single day. So certainly nothing contentious about this. I just thought it would be really fun to kind of go over their comments and review them a little bit as they were specifically about about me. And if you're not a fan or you don't listen to the Duck Gun Podcast, make sure that you do. It's actually not the Duck Gun Podcast. It's just Duck Gun Podcast. Make sure and do that. I'm a huge fan of it as I was a big part of it in the past. And I still listen to every episode and, and greatly enjoy it. So make sure that you're listening to the duck gun podcast, do duck gun podcast. Cause it's an awesome, awesome podcast. As you guys probably know. So before I get into, Oh, and last week I talked about top 10 songs and what I call top 10 songs. And I've got way more than 10 top 10 songs. If I, if I put them in my absolute favorite, favorite section, I call them a top 10 song. And I don't want the song I'm going to bring you today is beyond a top 10 song. I've actually called this my all time favorite song. Now I don't know. If it is, but man, it is up in the discussion for my favorite song of all time. And I'm going to bring that, I'm going to bring that to you guys. So, so be ready for that. And, um, 
Tonight's a special night that I'm recording this. It is 6.30 p.m. right now. At 8.30 in two hours, I am meeting with everyone over at Patreon that wants to join us and my buddy Woody for a special recording session of Woody's Top 5. So we get together and we do five recordings at a time. And that is, that's every other Thursday when we have Woody on there. And um, so I offer that up to patrons. And in fact, we've got live events two nights in a row for patrons where um, you can come and watch me record it live. You can comment. It's like a community event. So if you want to get on, get in on things like that, it's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And you can get in on that fun. I really, really enjoy it. Not all of my podcast recordings are live on Patreon. This one here is not. And I don't offer my own personal ones very often because I don't know when I'm going to record. That's one of the beauties of this podcast is I can record whenever I feel like it. And I feel like it makes my content a lot better to not be forced to do it. I do it when I have the right emotions. And I think that I'm better at, at as a podcaster when I don't have to set a schedule for myself and I can just get in and go. And so um, I really, really enjoy doing that. So thank you again for joining me. Uh, before we get into the recap of the day three hunt on my hunt trip, it really, really helps if you want to support me to support my partners here. And the first one is Final Approach. The website you want to go to is fabrand.com and the product code is FDH10 for 10% off. And for the first time in my life, I got to hunt over coot decoys because Matt is huge into coot decoys. That's another area that Matt and I share um, the same beliefs that we want to match whatever birds are in the area. And I have seen coots steal my hunts before. You get a raft of coots, and if the ducks start falling into those raft and coots, you are normally out of luck. And so Matt has gotten 10, or sorry, Matt has gotten three dozen coot decoys from Final Approach, FABrand.com, and they're light, they're small, they're awesome. And I plan absolutely 100% to probably get four or five dozen of them next year. And so I got to hunt over those, and that's just one of the type of decoys that Final Approach has. They also have hoodies stand-up blinds, all sorts of stuff. So before you buy, if you have needs, just go look. FABrand.com, product code FDH10. And also, Bobby Hayes at Ducklander Calls. His Ballard Call is fantastic. They're a little bit higher end. They're not those cheap little Walmart specials. So go and check out DucklanderCalls.com and get a call from Bobby. He's certainly a fantastic representative of the sport. So go and check that in check that out and the last one is on x hunt which i use every single hunt i didn't hardly use it much when i was with matt because he was he knows everything about that area but it's just a fantastic system that is going to greatly increase your waterfowl success i can promise you because of all the features they have on there download the app and start using that well, let's go ahead and get into day three of the hunt trip if you want to hear full details of day one and day two Monday's podcast, Matt and I talked about all of that. And so those were fantastic hunts. First day, <clears throat> I think we shot four. Second day, we shot our limit and is a phenomenal waterfowl hunt. It was just spectacular. The first day's video I just put out. So if you want to see day one, it is out on my channel, Freelance Duck Hunting. You can go and see that day. Day two will probably out. I'll probably put it out next Monday. You're listening to this on Thursday. Um, so I'll probably put that out next Monday. And I don't know when 
hunt three is going to come out probably Wednesday of next week. So you can see all of these and these description hunts. They go perfectly. If you watch the video, you can wrap it all together and put it in there. Now, this third Thursday, this third day of hunting, we did a lot of scouting after our limit on Saturday. And we decided, really Matt decided, because I wanted Matt to make all of the decisions. Because when I am around someone who's very, very successful in their area, and I'm not always really good at this, but my goal is to keep my mouth shut and let them decide. Like I know Matt is uh, in a crew of mine on the North American Waterfowl app. So I can go through and see all of his hunting statistics for this year. And he's averaging like 4.2, 4.3 birds per hunt. And I know how successful he is in this area. So for me to go in there and give my opinions, no, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. To me is a little bit foolish. I want him to make whatever decisions he makes by himself. I don't want my input to draw him away from that. And so for the most part, I tried to kind of have him make all the decisions because he's the one that knows that area. And he is a super successful North American waterfowler for sure. That guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to kill birds. He knows everything about the area. So I want him and him in charge of it. So we went back to the same place we hunted on Saturday. Now the weather was going to be a little bit different. Now the, the temperature was going to be about the same, which was about 28 degrees when we pulled up to the parking lot. And the plan was for us to put in our kayaks and kayak to our spot just like the day before. But we were going to get a no wind day and heavy, heavy fog. And so my personal experience with fog is that I do well on, on fog days. I really, really do. Um, but normally the best side of the fog is when it burns off and you kind of struggle in the morning, fog burns off and also the ducks get really active. That's my own experience. So I like being there when it, when it clears and when it goes out. So as we were paddling in, in the dark, I've never fully experienced anything like this. The fog was so thick. You could, I mean, the visibility, you just couldn't see anything. And there was hardly any wind. There was no noise. Like there was no ducks quacking. It was dead silent. As I was paddling by cattails that weren't moving in this heavy fog, I turned around this cattail bin and I just went off into the dark. And there was something about this day, this paddle, it was as calm and quiet and peaceful as I've ever experienced on a night paddle before. I mean, it was, I hate to use the word eerie because it didn't feel kind of a good word, like odd, I'd say, not eerie. Because eerie to me is almost like you feel a bit of a strangeness. It was an unusual environment to have that kind of fog, that kind of stillness, literally like no sounds. And it just matched the solitude of that area of Nebraska. And if I could, if I could talk specifically about that area, it's solitude. There is a peacefulness in those hills. Now, when you're looking at them, the colors are, there's pastels and the light hits on them, right? There's so many soft, fuzzy, warm colors in these hills. They can't farm it because it's sand. They graze it some. The number of people that live in that area is very, very small. So when you're in that area, you absolutely feel the emotion that I want to feel when I'm waterfowl hunting, which is isolation, full immersion. I mean, it matches what I want in a field. Just driving through that area 
it's the soft soft is it's so hard to describe because not soft the hills look very soft but yet they're still look a little rugged there's a wild ruggedness to them but at the same time they look soft when when you walk through them or paddle through them or hunt through them and you get up over one ridge they feel endless like a mountain range there is a unique special feel to this area of the world that I fell in love with in the nineties when I was pike fishing it, when we walked them and sharp tail hunted. And I cannot believe that I allowed myself to not hunt, to fall away from hunting in, in these locations because it is the exact field that I want to feel. And in that fog and that isolation and no one else on the marsh, Man, what a feeling that was. And it's one that I, it's what I'm going to remember. There's a couple things about this hunt that I'm going to remember more than anything. And that is one of them. So we battle on in there. We got all set. We ended up setting up in the exact place that we were on Saturday. And the only difference was the fog and no wind, which is a big difference. And right off the bat, within the first 10 minutes, and I, I it was strange because I'm like, well, you know what? The visibility is going to be rough on this because of the fog, but it actually wasn't. When I say visibility, I mean like silhouettes, shooting silhouettes in the first 10 minutes. It is actually the opposite. With the color of the water and the white of the fog, the silhouettes actually showed very well. And I look up and there is a big duck and I wasn't quite sure what it was, but there was a big duck just hovering over the decoys. Miss one, missed twice, killed it on the third one, boom, pintail drake. Not a bad pintail drake at all. Not a bad pintail drake. Shortly thereafter that, Matt killed a pintail drake that made my pintail drake look, I mean, his pintail drake was big and just gorgeous. It had everything except the, the sprig. And so right off the bat, I'd say within 30 minutes, we're limited out on pintails. And over the next, um, over, uh, over the next two hours, Basically, all we had come in was pintails. But when they came in, I mean, they came in. These pintails did it. And we were getting, we probably had two, three, or four. I know at least we had three or four total passes of just pintails hovering, landing in the decoys. And whether you can shoot them or not, seeing pintails in the decoys hovering like that, is something that you're going to remember. You just, they're hard bird to decoy. They're hard bird to decoy. And getting, getting that experience is wonderful, especially in the fog, because you don't see them way out. All of a sudden, boom, they're there and they're hovering. And man, I wish we could have shot more of them. I wish, I think I've heard Matt was actually saying that he thinks they're going to up the pintail limit next year because we could have probably shot three each. Depending on how we were shooting, we had one group of four where they were all orange. Maybe we could have shot four each. I don't know. But that was the decoy duck of the day. And so that kept our birds in bag down, down lower, quite honestly. And we just kept waiting for that fog to wear off. And it just wasn't. And it just wasn't. So I'm going to remember the paddling in the fog. I'm going to remember the pintails. And the last thing is we had this group of like eight pelicans that swam into the decoys and they hung out there for it. I don't know the exact time, five, five, 10, 15 minutes. They, they literally swam in our decoys. And the way we set up our decoys was like a raft. So when I, when, when you see a coot raft, a lot of times they're in tight, they're, they're nice and packed in together. So we packed them in together 
spread the ducks out through there. And these Pelicans were just, they came in and Matt had, I can't remember what the decoy was, the one that splashes the water up, it shoots water out. And this, this Pelican was so uh, mesmerized by this water shooting decoy. He was so mesmerized by it. Then he went over and started like pecking at a coot decoy. Then, then he started putting his, he put his whole like beak on the head of a mallard. And and it was like, it was so entertaining. And Matt, Matt actually just put out a, I don't know if it was, I think it was an Instagram reel maybe, or a story, or I can't remember, but um, a little clip of the pelicans and the decoys. And man, it was really, really unique. Some of them were sleeping where, and I've never seen a pelican sleep. I've seen lots of pelicans. I've watched a lot of pelicans. I've never seen them sleeping where they put their whole big crazy looking bill on their back. And it was just really, really interesting. And we shot a few other ducks. We shot, I shot a really, really nice widgeon, um, Drake. So I shot on the trip on that hunt, a really nice pintail Drake, a really nice widgeon Drake. So I felt, I felt pretty decent about, about that. The hunt was, you know, it just wasn't, there wasn't the movement. And then the fog didn't even come off until about like nine 30 ish. It just took so long for the fog to burn off. And then when it burned off, we just really didn't have much of an uptick in, in movement. So it was a slow day. We ended up hunting until I think 10, 15, um, but it was, it was enjoyable. It was probably the least enjoyable of the three days, but it was still lots of memorable events, events and lots of things to, to think about and remember. And we had the whole marsh to ourselves and we had the, that isolated feeling. So I loved every second of it. I want to give a personal thanks for Matt for having me out there. And we've been talking about it for a while and I'm hundred percent thrilled that I, I made that choice to go out there and hunt with him and hope, hope to do it again. I said, certainly hope to do it again. So um, well, we are going to have comment of the week here where I'm going to actually play the audio of Jordan and Hunter and Zach's comments about me and wood ducks and I'm respond to it. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and I want to bring the song to you. This is like possibly my favorite song ever. It's definitely up there really, really close. Now I am absolutely a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm absolutely a Christian, but I've always really struggled listening to Christian contemporary music. I just don't find it to be, I, I, when I first kind of converted back over, I grew up in Christianity and then didn't follow it for many, many years and, and kind of had then kind of casually followed it and then completely turned my life over, changed my life. And when I did that, I really tried to get into Christian contemporary music and I just couldn't, I just could not, I don't like it. It's just not, it doesn't sound good to me. And that's when I ran into Josh Garrels, which I talked about. Actually, I'm seeing him in concert for like the fourth time next Thursday. Um, but I, I talked about him in a different episode when I walked into a Christian bookstore and they were playing. Him. He's not Christian contemporary. He's absolutely not. They don't even play him on like Caleb and, and those things. He's not. But he is absolutely a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ to his core. And his music is as authentic as I've ever heard. And so this song I want to play for you is called White Owl by Josh Garrels. Hope that you like it. If you like it, support him. Check out his music. This is White Owl by Josh Garrels. When the night comes And you don't know which way shadow line 
The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. All right. So thank you for going on the break and coming back. Uh, this probably isn't going to be quite as long as a podcast as normal. We'll just see how much that I decide to talk about with this wood duck response. And so let's go ahead and jump into comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the week. All right. So once again, today's comment of the week comes from Duck Gun Podcast. And episode came out, I think, within the last week. 
I listened to it today. And so I'm going to play you some segments of the Duck on podcast and what they were saying. And then I'm going to stop it. I'm just going to kind of discuss and give my thoughts on the comments. So let's go ahead right here and check out this first segment. And then I will jump right back to you. And we're talking about, I said that they are the, they are the blue wing till of the central flyway, right? Yeah. For the, or the Mississippi flyway, you know, um, Elliot, like you said, gets to chase his blue wings. We get to chase wood ducks, but I would argue that wood ducks, Taste better. They're cooler. They are in cooler places. <laughs> Everything about a wood duck is just better than a blooming till. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with you. Where like they do taste better and they're bigger. They're they are bigger. You get more they're smarter. Meat. The number one slept on duck in North America. I'd agree with it. I'd yep. go with it. Oh yeah. 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 Elliot and me have a, a love-hate relationship when it comes to wood ducks because he, he uh, like totally disregards them as like a, a, a viable waterfowl species. Yeah. So he, we just need to get him sometime to come on one of these hunts and like really experience like true wood duck hunt, decoying birds. All right. So Jordan's quote was that I totally disregard the wood duck as a waterfowl species, and let me give you my thoughts on the wood duck, because I don't think that that is accurate. Now I will say when I first heard heard Jordan say this, I was like, absolutely positively not true. Total misrepresentation of what I believe. And the more I've sat on that comment, it's still, it's still a misrepresentation of what I, what I think. However, they're definitely down towards the bottom of my list as far as ducks that I want to hunt. I know that they are technically a puddle duck, but if I'm being honest, I want them to be, I I wish that they were uh, in a different category called like a tree duck. Cause I don't think that they're the same as a widgeon. I don't think they're same as a gadwall as a pentail as like your standard textbook puddle ducks. I think the wood duck is just different. And to to throw it in there as a puddle duck with those other ducks, to me, it's not it, it's a misrepresentation of that category. And so I I do value them. And if I had more time, I would target them. But if I only have my Saturdays, I'm not going to target them unless that's the only game that I have, which I can honestly say has never been the only game that I have. I've never well, actually, I take that back. One time I targeted them and we ended up shooting a bunch of ducks shot our limit and most of them weren't wood ducks, but um, it, it's just not what I want to target. And I'll get into I'll get into the reason why. But I, I do absolutely appreciate how they look. I appreciate how they taste. I, I appreciate them as a waterfowl, as a wonderful, exotic waterfowl species. But I am a puddle duck hunter, and I think they need an asterisk by their name as far as being a puddle duck. I mean, they nest in trees. They're just, if you think of the behaviors of mallard, teal, widgeon, gadwalls, pintails, and then you think of the life habits, the environment, the behaviors of a wood duck, they're just not quite the same. They need a little separate category of their own. So let's go ahead and move on to 
the next comet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he like appreciates the, the hunt part of a wood duck. He just sees that, okay, you go out and you pass sheet three and then you're done for the day. Well, a lot of people do that. Yeah. And like, you know? I don't think he appreciates like the hunt and like the, the chaos of like a 30 minute wood duck hunt, you know, cause like a lot of places you only get like 30 minutes to 45 minutes to really, really good shooting light to shoot wood ducks. And it's just, it's total chaos. There's birds everywhere. Right. You know, you just, if you're on the X, it's, yeah. it can be amazing. Yep, and I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't trade the wood duck right. hunts. I'm like you. I wouldn't. I yeah, don't. if you're on the X, you're not pass shooting them. No. So, and even when you, even when you really are like pass shooting wood ducks, I, I have like a weird thing with like pass shooting a wood duck. I'd pass shoot a wood duck, you know, but you you pass shoot them at ten yards because you're hunting in a slough and then a cut and like they're flying between right. the trees. So like your pass shot is ten yards. Yeah, they weren't like flying into the decoys, but sure, like. Sure. No, I'm just saying for him. I think to yeah to get to that point where he he gives the wood duck kind of the due mm-hmm. respect it it deserves that he has to be on one of those hunts where they're coming like decoying we're on the X and all that. So oh yeah, you give him three Drake wood ducks that decoyed in the spread. I bet he changes the number on the on the <laughs> hunt app on what they're worth. Yeah, you know maybe if he does that, I'll start logging my hunts again. All right, so um, you know, I think honestly, this whole beginning section, I think they're they're misrepresenting the 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 big debate that Jordan and I had, because on the Duck on podcast, the big debate that Jordan and I had was my statement was is that wood ducks are not good decoy ducks, and I don't ever recall having a comment with Jordan saying I don't appreciate wood duck hunts. I wouldn't like to be on a wood duck hunt. In fact, I remember specifically saying i've seen videos of wood ducks by thomas hoke and if i could hunt wood ducks like i see thomas doing i would absolutely enjoy it and want to do it i've never made statements so when jordan set up the statement that he did at the beginning and he said i totally disregard wood ducks it kind of sets the stage for a conversation that uh, i wasn't really I never really made statements that I would not ever want a wood duck hunt, that I couldn't appreciate a wood duck hunt. Now, first, I live in the Central Flyway, and we do have some wood ducks. Now, we don't have a bunch. I don't shoot many wood ducks. There aren't that many wood ducks here. I have had one opening day that it was chaos, like Hunter was talking about, and we shot a bunch of wood ducks, and I absolutely did did enjoy it. But the premise of this conversation from the beginning really should have been about the stance that I took that Jordan and I really disagreed about that I don't consider a wood duck a decoying duck or they're not, they don't really decoy as well as the other peddler ducks. And that's why I don't value them or view them as highly as I do the other ducks is really the conversation. If I, if I was with Jordan and I was with Hunter and we were on the Mississippi River and there was wood ducks flying all over the place, would I enjoy that hunt? Absolutely, I would enjoy that hunt. Now, Hunter said they're pass shooting at 10 yards. That's still not my goal. Yes, having birds at 10 yards is great. I'm still not satisfied if their feet aren't down. Do I shoot birds at 10 yards that are passing? Absolutely, I will I will take those shots. But ultimately, sometimes I won't. I want them feet down. That's my goal. But, you know, to kind of make it out as though I don't, think that my eyes would have to be open that I would appreciate a hunt off the Mississippi river in the timber with wood ducks everywhere. Absolutely. I would appreciate that. And if that was around here, I'm sure I would go on some of those hunts, 
But again, the ultimate debate that Jordan and I had on the Duck on podcast was not really about that. It was about whether I whether they are whether they react to a call, whether you can consider them a good decoying duck. That was really the big debate that we had. I do appreciate them as spectacular looking birds. They're just not on my top favorite list of birds that I would want to hunt because to me, I want very call responsive birds. I want to work birds. I want birds feet down. And from my personal experience, the wood duck is at the low end of the list for birds that are going to do that. And so let's go ahead and move on to the next, the next comments. Do you think you can call wood ducks? Okay. So if you have a wood duck call and you know how to call wood ducks, you can have success turning birds. I like I I do think that you can turn wood ducks with a wood duck call. I think you can with a mallard call too. But I think your likelihood of success is less than like that of a mallard, of course. Right. Right. But like I think to a certain degree you can call them back into a spread and you can get them to at least turn and look with a wood duck call and someone who's actually like knows what they're doing. So if we had to put like a a like tier list of birds that respond, waterfowl that respond to the call. You know, we'd probably start with mallard, mm-hmm. maybe gooses after that, and maybe some people interchange those. But I think mallard's the number one instant feedback call, and mm-hmm. they respond duck. Yep. Um, then goose. Yeah. Some of the other puddlers would fall in there. Yeah, I'd put like teal in I'd there. I'd put teal up high. Yeah. 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 Yep, teal. I mean, but you got spoonies, you got gadwall, widgeon, mm-hmm. pintails, all those. And I don't have enough experience with a lot of those birds over the season. I mean, I get them here and there, and you call at them with a mallard call, and sometimes they come in, sometimes they don't. seems like pintail are super weary to calls. People say whistle for them. I still don't feel like they respond to the whistle that well either. I'd put them kind of like at the bottom of the puddlers, um, almost similar to like a wood duck. Yeah. Right. So now, Jordan, you just admitted what our entire – argument was about about wood ducks my statement that we had and i wish i could go back in the episode and dig it out and find it i wish i had done that my statement that started our big debate on wood ducks was that they're at the bottom of the list of decoying ducks let's hear this again i'd put them kind of like at the bottom of the puddlers um almost similar to like a wood duck yeah right you will put them at the bottom of the list of decoying birds along with pintails that was my whole point that's the whole point that i was making that started our debate all this front stuff we've talked about about me disregarding wood ducks was not really what our big debate about what our big debate was about was was whether i consider wood ducks to be decoying ducks now let me preface this a little bit more i think of just your average marsh you're just going on a duck hunt any old marsh not not ideal wood duck habitat any old regular shallow water marsh and you take out a dozen um wood duck decoys a dozen mallard decoys, a dozen teal decoys, a dozen pintail decoys, and you put them out there. Out of out of all of the puddle ducks, let's rank the order that if you see a group of five coming by, in what order do you think they're going to be the most likely to respond to your call? Just in a regular march. Here's, here's my list. 
I would put green wing teal as number one. They're the most likely to respond either to your call or seeing your decoys. You're getting them off path. You're not on the X. You haven't found your special little wood duck hole that you're going to go sit in and know where their X at. I'm talking every, any average day, ordinary marsh. We're ranking the ability of the species to decoy, be it call, be it decoys. I put the green wing teal as number one on the list. I put the mallard on number two on that list. I'm going to put um, blue wings. Blue wings, I'm not sure where they go in there. They go somewhere in between after mallard to before mallard. Then I'm going to put the widgeon. After that, it's going to be a tie between um, gadwall and shovelers because sometimes gadwalls can be really, really finicky, as can shovelers. And then I'm going to put the pintail. And after that, I'm going to put the wood duck at the bottom of that list. I'm talking about five birds flying by. They have no business being where you're at. They see your decoys. They hear your calling. Which of those species are going to respond the best? And from my experience, from where I live, now I have not hunted wood ducks in Virginia like Thomas does. I have not hunted them on the Mississippi River like Hunter does. But these guys just admitted. And Jordan just admitted that the decoy is at the bottom end with the pintails at ducks that are difficult to decoy. And that's my whole stance. That's my entire stance that I took. That's the entire debate that Jordan and I had. That's any time that I was very adamant on this topic, it was about that. And that, again, I see the wood ducks as a little bit of a subspecies of a puddler compared to the other puddle ducks. I put an asterisk by them. Now, because that they don't decoy very well, they don't respond to a mallard call very well. It doesn't mean never. It doesn't mean they'll never to respond to it like they were talking about. Your odds, your percentages, they're way at the bottom of the list in my books, from my experience. And it seems like from Hunter's and from Jordan's and from Zach's, that's the same thing that they're saying here too. But this whole conversation was prefaced at the beginning with kind of a kind of an over-exaggerated statement about my over-beliefs of the wood ducks. But again, once now that I've been away from it, I've been processing and thinking, and probably maybe a little bit more than what I originally would have thought that it, that it was. But, and that's my whole point about the, the wood ducks. When I am waterfowl hunting and I'm hunting a shallow water marsh, the enjoyment that I get is birds working, birds turning, birds reacting to a call and birds going feet down. Will that ever happen for wood ducks? Absolutely. I have had wood ducks come directly into my decoys and sit down and I've killed them. I'm not saying that it never happens. I'm talking frequency percentage wise. They are towards the bottom of the list. Now we can debate on, are they better than pintails? Are they better than shovelers you we, we can have that debate but we certainly can't put them in the top top half of the putter list puddler list when it comes to general duck hunts now if you want if you have a good wood duck hole like those like hunter and those guys do up there in the mississippi river like jordan does someplace in indiana like thomas does and you know where's a great wood duck hole and you specifically target wood ducks your odds of getting them to come right through at 10 yards or even put their feet down or whatever goes dramatically up. But we're talking about the puddle duck species as a whole and we're ranking them. And that's why I think less of them 
than I think of other ducks. That's the reason why. Now, their exotic look brings it up. I love their exotic look. But again, I my goal is decoying birds, birds that heavily react to, to the call. And that's what I like. So I, w- I want to listen to one more segment here um, from Jordan. But I do feel like there's days. It's like you said, like there's days where you can call like in a mallard or a goose and they're just not going to come. They're yeah. just going to, they're on a mission going point A to point B and nothing you are going to do or say or is going to change their mind. And there's days where they go over, like we had this in North Dakota and there's a group of witching. I mean, they were going like they were, you know, a hundred yards high and um, going right over our head and kept going. I mean, they had to see the decoys. Kept on going. I hell called with the mallard call. Half of them, and it was like 20, like 10 peeled yeah. off. And they came down, and they swooped down right over our head past their decoys. We were split up with the calves on that hunt, and they are like on the other side. And they went right into the calves' decoys. But they yeah. were 100% not going until I called. But, you know, on that day, the call, I mean, you saw them all turn their wings after they were like, you know, 100 yards past us and 100 yards high. They all just cupped their wings, came to that marsh. Didn't like our spread, like the Cavs, and uh, you know the Cavs shot them up. So, uh, but that's like one of the days where it's like they responded to the call. Mm-hmm. So there's days where wood ducks or times where they respond to the call. It's just like, is it like ten percent, where like a mallard is fifty percent? You know? Right. Yeah. So let me ask you listeners this question. In that comment, Jordan had a bunch of widgeon fly past the decoys. They were way out there. 100 yards, they were going away from the decoys. Jordan called so hard, and he broke 10 of them off. They circled all the way around. They banked their wings around, and they came, and they did it. How many times would a wood duck group ever do that? I'm not saying they would never, but it's pretty rare. For a group of 10 to 15 wood ducks to scream by you, not look at your decoys, get a hundred yards away and you're blowing that call so hard that you call all those half the birds break out of that pack, bank their wings, swoop all the way around. I just don't find wood ducks do that. I don't find wood ducks do that. My experience is that when wood ducks go by in a straight line, they fly a straight line, they know where they're going and they go. And that's the difference in my mind between a wood duck and a widgeon. And a wood duck and any of those other puddle ducks, you can get experiences where you can pull birds off like that. Now, I am admitting to you that my experience is limited with wood ducks. So in an open marsh, I'm not talking about in the woods. I'm not talking about their prime habitat where you're focusing on wood ducks. I'm talking about a big and a generalized waterfowl hunt in a shallow water marsh. Are wood ducks going to give you that reaction that Jordan got from those widgeons? I would say not almost never. If I'm wrong and you've had experiences like that, and it's just because of my lack of experience with wood ducks, which I will admit I have a lack of experience with wood ducks because we don't have them around here that much. And when I do see them, they just don't act like that. And that's what I want about waterfowl hunting. That's what I love about waterfowl hunting. Banking birds. Pulling birds out of groups, birds feet down. That's what I want. And for me personally, wood ducks do not provide that for me. Again, I would go on a duck hunt with Hunter, that 30 minutes of chaos. I'd go on that. I would enjoy it as a side hunt, as a one-off, as a, I don't know if the mallard hunts, 
and all these other puddle duck species don't look good. Let's go target wood ducks. I would like to do that. I've got a couple holes in my area that I will, I've always been talking about, man, if I could hunt whenever I wanted, I promise you some Tuesday I'd be out there trying to shoot my wood ducks in, in the solitude of that experience. Absolutely. I would do that and I would value it, but that's a one-off for me. All right, let's finish this up. That's my opinion. I, I don't think that they're a call responsive bird by any means, but I think you can have success calling them. Right. I Personally, I haven't had success calling them. And there we go. And that was my heated debate with Jordan in the first place. And all three of them throughout this conversation have agreed with me. They're at the bottom of the list. Um, Jordan said they're at the bottom of the list with pintails. Hunter said they're not a call responsive duck. And Zach agreed. And so I, that that's my point. That's, that's my point is they're just not a call responsive duck. And for me, that's not as fun. So I put them farther down on my list of enjoyable birds that I'm going to try to target. Um, so, and the, the last thing I want to address is Jordan made a comment about um, the, the North American waterfowler app and my point value for them. So over there on that app, each waterfowl species has a point value and Jordan, when he was a part of that, he talked me into putting the value at five, which is the same as a Mallard Drake. And I just can't, I just don't think that your average waterfowler puts the enjoyment and the satisfaction level of shooting a greenhead Drake and shooting a wood duck Drake. Now, not everyone's going to agree with that, but I, maybe I'll put this poll up on, um, the duck on podcast. He's got a lot more followers over there and I'll see, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the mass majority of North American waterfowlers, if, if they can shoot a bag of greenhead mallards or a bag of wood duck drakes, your vast majority is going to go shoot the mallard drakes. And that's why the wood duck drake cannot be the same point value as the mallard drake. The mallard is supreme. Now you've got canvas back drakes or some other drakes. Actually, I uh, pintail drakes are worth a little bit more. Canvas back drakes are worth a little bit more because they're more scarce. They're harder to shoot. That's why they're worth a little bit more. I think they're worth six hybrids are worth like seven or eight. But when it comes to the individual value of your singular mallard drake versus your singular wood duck drake, I just don't think they're equal. I think the mallard drake is more significant. More people chase them. More people want to shoot mallards. That's what your hardcore North American waterfowlers want to shoot. And so if I'm giving them a value, I can't put that them at the same level. But it's a four. It's one point off. What Drake is four. Mallard Drake is five, which I think is completely fair. So thank you to Jordan for allowing me to play these clips. Again, there is zero hard feelings in this debate and this topic. I really, really enjoyed listening to their thoughts. Um, about wood ducks and reflecting on my thoughts about wood ducks. And I'm going to see if I can't dig up that specific episode where Jordan and I were going at it um, about wood ducks. I would like to re-listen to that. Maybe some of the statements I made were outlandish and maybe I'd be like, wow, that's, that's why Jordan made that statement because here's what I said and he's remembering it. And I've just forgotten. That's ab certainly absolutely possible. So I suggest go over and listen to that podcast, this episode, duck on podcast and hear the whole thing they put on a really good show really good content 
Um, that's all that I have for you guys today. I'm going to lead you guys out of here with another song from Josh Garrels. This is another song that's really, really meaningful to me, and I may actually revisit this with you and talk a little bit more about it at a later time. Thank you for joining me again today. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Please don't wait for me. I lost my way again. My job, I walked away from the life that I was leading with my friends. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.